Welcome back to the Hope Again podcast. On Children's Grief Awareness Day, I was fortunate enough to attend a training by the National Alliance for Children's Grief, hosted locally by Bo's Place. And while we covered a wide range of topics that day, the one that stood out to me the most was stigmatized loss. This is a word I've heard in the past, but not one that I ever focused on, which is funny as I often use the word stigma when talking about suicide loss, and I myself have experienced multiple stigmatized losses. As I learned about how the world views stigmatized loss, how we speak about it, and how we speak to children about it, I knew I needed to have an episode on this topic. So I began the search to find someone who could help me explore this topic, and I believe I have found the perfect person. Today, we have Jessica Barboza joining us. Jessica is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a doctoral candidate at Utah State University, where she researches family meaning-making in bereavement. Her research and scholarly work has been published in leading journals and recognized at professional conferences. She currently maintains an active clinical practice at the Grief Recovery Center in Houston, Texas, where she supports bereaved couples and individuals in their journey towards realizing greater interpersonal and individual resilience. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Jessica. So, so grateful to be here. Well, thank you. And let me just say the short bio does not do you justice. (laughs) You are a very busy lady. Yes, thank you. No, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happening, but all good things. I'm very, um, very grateful for where I am in life and and all the moving parts that exist. Yeah. So you spend really and truly most of your waking hours either uh, helping bereaved individuals or learning and researching more about bereavement and meaning making so that helpers, right? The helping professional can be better equipped at helping bereaved individuals. That really and truly is like your bread and butter. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that therapy is both a science and an art. And so we need to cultivate both of those things in our lives. And so um, if time allows me, I try my best to to cultivate both the science and the art of what I do, um, which I love. And I love doing it with grief. And I love doing it with, um, especially with couples, because I think that uh, there's something unique about helping people learn how to grieve together. Um, even though grief is very different between and between people and our, no one has the same grief, but how do we support each other? How do we encourage each other? How do we um, respect each other's grief journey uh, as we exist and coexist together is something that's really important to me. I love that. I am not a couples person. I have a friend who I know if a couple needs support, I um, call my friend and say, Hey, this is, this is a good person for you. Or I send them a referral, but um, couples work is something that I shy away from just because I'm not good at it, but I've actually never considered it in bereavement work. In fact, I always suggest people come to me separately because it is so different. So I like that perspective that you have and that you said, um, learning how to support each other, right? Because we do grieve differently, but then learning how to support each other. Um, that definitely makes me think a little bit because I think that probably is such a needed thing that many therapists don't offer. I myself included. Well, well, I think even as we talk about this conversation about stigmatized losses, we don't, grief can make us very uncomfortable. Um, 
And even in our relationships, if we even if we have a shared loss, our partner's grief or our family member's grief can still make us uncomfortable because they're grieving differently than us. And so how do we deal with that awkwardness? How do we deal with that discomfort in our relationship so that we can find opportunities for connection rather than disconnection, uh, which sometimes grief can do because we grieve differently it can draw us apart or create distance rather than connecting us. Um, yeah, that's so good. So we were talking before we started uh, recording about how you don't really learn about grief in grad school unless it's on purpose. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, you know, I think we had like one day of one class where we talked about grief and the bereaved. And so my passion has been grief from the very beginning. And so all of my grad work, all of my um, research work was on grief, bereavement, mourning, all of that. Um, But very few therapists do that on purpose intentionally. And Mm -hmm. so most therapists, if they, if grief becomes a calling for them or is a calling for them, they have to then go on after college and learn on their own about it. And they get Mm -hmm. like certifications like grief recovery specialists, or they go to um, Colorado or they go to, uh, oh, I can't think of the other one, Um, but they, you know, they go somewhere else to learn about it because we don't really get that in school. And so it's very intriguing to me when I meet fellow therapists who this is their passion and this is what they've chosen to do while in school, while working on your um, doctorate. And so can you share a little bit about what led you to the field of grief work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I think many, like many of us, my own personal experience kind of led me to wanting to be a therapist. I didn't originally think that I was going to do a lot of grief work, but, um, but my own grief led me into this, this career. So uh, when I was about nine years old, my sister died. She was born with a, um, a rare diagnosis called trisomy 18. And um, so after about six months, uh, which was is long for that diagnosis, um, she she died. And so my family, which was a blended family, went through um, our own grieving process with that. And each one of us grieve, still grieve very differently um, as a result of that experience. But a part of that grieving process for at least my mom and I was to go to counseling. And so we um, we went to counseling and I felt like that that counselor really helped me find a voice through my grief. So it wasn't necessarily that um, I needed a lot of support with my grief, but I needed a lot of support in finding my voice again and knowing who I was um, at that time as a nine-year-old, kind of what does this mean about me? How do I relate to my peers who have never gone through anything like this? How can I uh, find a voice in that space? Um So that was really meaningful for me as a young child. And so I felt like I wanted to be able to do that for other children, um, helping them find their own voice, uh, whatever that looked like and through whatever circumstances. So that was what originally drew me to uh, therapy itself. And then um, I I was really passionate about working with children. And so as my passion grew for working with children, I realized that children are... um, very much impacted and influenced by the people around them. So we can't really work with children and not work with their parents and work with their family um, because the family dynamic is so 
valuable to how children grow and how they understand themselves. And so that's what led me into marriage and family therapy work. And I still believe that. I still believe, even as I I don't necessarily work with children as much anymore, although I love working with children, um, even when I work with individuals, I recognize that they are in the context of their relationships and how they understand themselves is based on um, who they are around and how they relate to the people that they are around. Um, and so so I talk a lot about with my clients, their relationships, including their relationship with the deceased, because I think our relationship with the deceased is such an important part of how we understand our own grief journey and how we um, kind of process it. And I hate to say move forward from it, but it move through it, I guess mm-hmm. is really correct, how we move through our grief. Yeah. I like that you brought up the relationship piece with the deceased. I often tell people that relationships don't end with death. They just change. Absolutely. And so sometimes that I think the fear of losing a person um, forever makes it yes. scary to heal yes. because you don't want to, you don't want that chapter to be over. You don't want that to be like it never existed. And so yes saying that relationships don't end is almost like, Oh, then I can breathe. And I don't have to be uh, in this intense pain for the rest of my life, just to keep my person alive. Absolutely. And sometimes we connect our grief with our love for that person that the harder I grieve, the more I love them. Right. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's also about separating that out too, that, that our love for them can exist without the pain of our grief too, or this kind of intense pain. Um, Because while our grief can represent that love, our love can be represented in other ways as well. Mm, That's so good. So today we're talking about stigmatized loss. And um, when I was trying to find like the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition, there isn't one. (laughs) (laughs) But the definition of stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. Therefore, a stigmatized loss um, for those of us in grief often brings about like these feelings of shame, blame, hopelessness, distress. And then what's the most important to me that I want to talk about really is this reluctance to seek help because Mm -hmm. of the stigma associated Mm -hmm. with the stigmatized loss. Um, You know, and that breaks my heart, but I get it completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So some examples of stigmatized loss are suicide. That's the one I talk about the most um, because I think that's the one that if we're going to talk about stigmatized loss gets the most attention, which to me personally is great because I've experienced multiple suicide losses and that hasn't always been the case. Mm -hmm. And so I do love that whenever a public figure dies by suicide, people talk about it and they're learning how to talk about it in a healthy way. And I think that because of the American foundation of suicide prevention and all of those things that people are becoming to be more likely to seek help for that Mm -hmm. type of stigmatized loss, But some other stigmatized losses um, are homicide and um, drunk driving accidents. You know, these are ones that are personal to me, so I can think about them. But like um, when the 
drunk driver is the one that dies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeking support for that. And many people wouldn't do that because of the blame and shame and um, distress and all of those things. And so I think these types of losses are so important to shed light on because loss is loss and your grief is so important. Um, one that I didn't even think about until this moment is like incarceration. That's mm-hmm. a loss. Mm-hmm. And when a loved one commits a crime and goes to jail for however long, whether it's a year, a couple of years or life, many times people feel like they can't grieve because mm-hmm. my person did something bad. And no yeah. matter what the reason for the death or the loss is, loss is loss and pain is pain. And you loved your person. Yes. And we can love people, even though they disappoint us, even though they do things that we um, maybe wouldn't want them to do, or we disagree with, or that, that shake our foundation about how we understand them, that we can love someone despite uh, their flaws, despite their failures, despite their mistakes, um, that our love still exists for them, right? And that exists in the living and that exists in the deceased too. Mm-hmm. So I, if you can think of other stigmatized losses, feel free to throw them out there. I don't want anybody to be missed if we can, if we can help it, but I, how do you think adults tend to deal with stigmatized loss? Um, well, I think adults, um, we're very social beings. And so we don't like to make other people uncomfortable. And so I think in our social environment and the social narratives, the pervasive social narratives of our world, um, make it so that one grief itself is uncomfortable. Grief itself is very uncomfortable for people to, um, to to sit with, to understand, to um, acknowledge, and to support, um, because there's not a lot of modeling about what that looks like, or how to support people in these spaces, and how to just let someone be in pain. We don't like, our society doesn't like people in pain, Mm -hmm. and so we try to kind of move them through that as fast as possible. So I think, in general, grief itself um, is kind of stigmatized. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. and we that, try to fix it real fast. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that it makes people uncomfortable. And then I think in a similar thing, a similar vein that, that stigmatized losses in particular make people even more uncomfortable because we have this cognitive dissonance, which, um, exists about how can we, like I said, how can we love someone despite their flaws, despite their mistakes, that it feels like, or that love is, is, is less valuable, mm-hmm. uh, is easier to let go of. I don't know. We have these preconceptions about what that's supposed to be. And so maybe we put expectations on mourners, on grievers to not grieve that, right? That um, that you shouldn't. Right, because, because of the fault, because of the, they did something to be murdered. Like they must have mm-hmm. wrong place, wrong time. That's their fault. And so why are you sad about that? And it's very, exactly. like, it's very intellectual versus emotional. And we know that people try to intellectualize grief normally, but mm-hmm. then when there's a stigmatized loss, the intellectual piece is even more like why blaming trying mm-hmm. to understand lots of times mm-hmm. when things aren't understandable. And mm-hmm. so even more so with stigmatized loss, non the people not grieving um, have way more questions and judgment mm-hmm. than 
I don't know, space, ability, understanding to be able to just love and support their mm-hmm. loved one. Mm-hmm. And that's because we don't have an understanding of grief in general. Like mm-hmm. you said, grief itself is often stigmatized. And because as a society, um, especially Western culture, especially in America, we want to hurry up and be done with it. Um, I think we have a lot to learn from other cultures who honor mourners for a year and mm-hmm. you are loved and cared for and supported for at minimum a year because it's a, it's a social experience and um, it's an emotional experience. And so the cultures that honor that and understand it, I think we just have so much to learn from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even as you said, any relationship is important to us. Love is love and therefore loss is loss. And so, um, so any loss that we go through, uh, has an impact on us, has an impact on how we view ourselves, how we view the world. And we need some time to figure out how to, what that means for us. How do we make sense of that, um, in the way that we live our life, uh, currently how we live our life now as a result of that experience, as a result of that loss. Um, what does that mean about how I treat other people in my life? What does that mean about how I interact with other people in my life? That's a huge part of the grieving process. And so, especially with stigmatized losses, um, we can't ignore how the impact that that's made on the, uh, the person's, understanding of their role in their relationships, their role in the world, their purpose uh, in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So thinking about how adult grievers of stigmatized loss typically deal from, from my experience, we either ignore it or we engage in some of the infamous myths like keeping busy, for example, um, in homicides, we often want an investigation and we are calling the police all the time and we um, need answers Mm -hmm. and that prevents us from being able to sit and be still and feel our Mm -hmm. feelings and really experience the magnitude of the loss um, Mm -hmm. because we're trying to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. And then after so much time has passed, it's really hard to go back and say, okay, now I need to deal with what's inside because I didn't do that. And it's hard really to even recognize that, to understand that I didn't deal with my emotions because I was an advocate or I was fighting or I was questioning. Um, And I think like for suicide loss, the same thing, oftentimes, you know, the best, the best nonprofits stem from trauma, right? And these are people who I need to fix this. I need to make it better. I need to help make sure nobody else feels like this again. Um, and so while, while these nonprofits are formed out of grief, it's almost out of avoidance mm. because they're creating something, trying to make meaning, which is important, but trying to really um, make the loss mean something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that turns into, um, I'm avoiding my feelings. I'm not stopping to be quiet and to sit with my pain, um, because I have to make this mean something. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Because it make sense. it's important and you are yes. one of the experts in that, but I think sometimes it becomes um, an avoidance. It, yeah, it can. It can. When we, in order to make meaning, we have to be in tune with our emotions. We have to, our emotions help guide the meaning that we make about things, right? It, our, our, even our guilt, our, um, our anger, our sadness, our longing helps us understand, you know, something about ourselves, something about our own needs, right? What does that teach? What is my anger telling me about, um, about how I view this loss, about how I view myself as a result of this loss. How does my, what is my guilt telling me about these things? What, what aspects of my guilt do I need to pay attention to or not pay attention to anyway? Our emotions really do color the story of our, of our loss. And so if we don't pay attention to them, um, then we might lose some of the meaning that's being, or some of the story that's coming from um, our own experience. Yeah, that's so good. So our emotions guide the process, whether it's healing and intentional, like reflection and introspection, or whether it's avoidance, and I'm not going to deal with this pain because it's too much. And so I'm going to create something else, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I did. So that's, that's why I think about the meaning making is when my boyfriend killed himself, that was the second suicide I had experienced. And the second time I was like, I'm not going to be in the amount of pain that I was in the first time. And so I started fundraisers and raising money for survivors of suicide loss and doing all of those things because I needed to do something that made sense. And while that I still am very proud of those things. And I think those things were very helpful for other people. It also kept me busy for much longer than necessary. Mm -hmm. And I still had to go back and deal with the loss. So it doesn't make the emotional dealing with the emotions um, go away. It just prolongs it. Yeah. And you know, it's important in our grief process that we take breaks from our grief. Sometimes people think that you have Mm -hmm. to sit in the grief and just feel it all the time. And we don't, we can't tolerate that. That's not sustainable. So, so it is important for us to take breaks from, from our grief um, and and do other things, do things that help us invest in just our day-to-day life, whatever we're able to do, whether that's starting a nonprofit or maybe just taking a shower that day, whatever it is that allows us to take small breaks from it, that helps us build resilience to face those emotions um, with greater tolerance, with greater tolerance. But if we take prolonged breaks and prolonged breaks and never return to those emotions, never return back to the grief, then as you said, you know, we we end up not dealing with them. It ends up becoming more of an avoidance than it is helpful. That's um, so good. Yes. Breaks are important. And like you had mentioned earlier about sometimes people feel like love and grief are connected. And so the the intensity of my grief is representative of the intensity of my love for that person. And Mm -hmm. so when that happens, oftentimes people don't take breaks because then that means that I didn't love them enough, or I didn't love them as much as I said I do. So I appreciate that you said that, that breaks are healthy and appropriate and necessary because our body can only take on so much. Yeah, it can only do so much. And if we we need those breaks to create that rhythm, right? Grief, grief 
becomes predictable um, over time. It doesn't lessen in intensity over time, but it does become a little bit more predictable, but we have to engage in some of these natural rhythms. And if they're natural or if the rhythm isn't creating itself, we have to kind of create that rhythm, create that natural rhythm of I'm coming in to my grief and I'm going to sit with my feelings and I'm going to come out of it. Mm. And so that's sometimes the work that I do with clients when they feel like they're really stuck and they can't get out of it. (laughs) They can't get out of that grief. And it feels like it's just pulling them under, um, helping them kind of create that natural rhythm. What is it like to sit with it for a little bit? And then what do you do to kind of help yourself come out of it again and know that you're going to return to it again? Um, you know, in that when when you're ready and what that what does that look like? How do you know when you're ready to sit with your grief? How do you know when you're ready to come out of it? Um, because I think either way, as you said, it can turn into avoidance or it can turn into this painstaking where we just feel stuck in it. Mm. And to kind of allow ourselves to sit in those natural rhythms. Um, but I think that's really challenging with stigmatized losses because with stigmatized losses, we feel like um we can't do either. <laughs> Maybe we can't, if we get, if we sit in our grief, somehow that's wrong. Sometimes we feel guilty about that because it feels like, why am I doing this? I shouldn't even be grieving. I shouldn't even be feeling this way. So then there's guilt and the self-blame for feeling our feelings. And then there's this guilt and the self-blame for not, right? For taking a break from it. And we're like, well, no one else is recognizing my grief. No one else is, is recognizing this loss. And so then it feels like I'm almost forgetting this person if I take this long break from my grief and and I'm forgetting um, the impact that they had on my life, positive and negative. And I think sometimes, again, we, we have to recognize that our relationship with people is never all positive and it's never all negative. Mm-hmm. So we have to, um, in our grief, again, sit with our emotions and, and let those color the story about what what about this relationship impacted me positively? What about this loss impacted me positively? And what about this loss impacted me negatively? Um, and what about this person maybe impacted me negatively? Yeah. And how do I make sense of all of that in order to understand who I am now, right? Who I am coming out of this because I, I, it's so impressive to me how my clients always, there's like this epiphany moment for them when they recognize I am not ever going to be the same person again, Hmm. never going to be the person I was before this loss, before this death. Um, and I have to grieve that person. (laughs) I have to grieve who that person was as well, but I also have to understand how I've changed Hmm. both positively and negatively as a result of this experience. That's really good because um, grief is always multifaceted. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, it's not just about the loss, whether it's death or um, some other type of loss. Um, It's also about your, the changes in you and how you are now a different person. And we don't often recognize that. And so then I think about stigmatized loss and if grief in itself is multifaceted and there's so many different moving pieces and different things that we have to grieve, um, with a stigmatized loss, you said it, it's often not recognized by other people. Like, why are you grieving? People Mm -hmm. will think that or say that or say really hurtful things. And so how do we deal with that? How do we help 
either help the people that we need in our life to understand that our grief is valid no matter what, or seek out people, or do we just accept it and say that the world doesn't value my grief? Um, how do we deal with that? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a really beautiful question. And I don't know that I have an exact answer me, but my, um, my inclination is to say that we have to get comfortable making other people uncomfortable. Mm, so good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have to kind of be okay. We're saying, you know what? I know that you don't maybe recognize this as a loss for me, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay for you. Maybe you'll get it down the road, but like, I don't need to, um, I guess, hide my pain to make you comfortable. Mm, mm -hmm. I, I think it's okay for me to make you uncomfortable and it's okay for you to um, have to sit in your own discomfort around my grief. Um, and, and it's not my responsibility to make you feel comfortable about my pain. Yeah. Um, it's my, it, it's my responsibility to be present to my own pain. Um, and, and so I guess that's my answer is, is we, it's a challenge and it's tough because I think we fear because I think it's so pervasive in our social narratives that grief itself is uncomfortable, but also, as we said, stigmatized losses are, uh, make people even more uncomfortable. Um, but I think because of that, um, we, we need to be even more okay with maybe, making people uncomfortable and, and not fearing that those relationships are going to distance themselves from us, which sometimes happens, right? People mm -hmm. start to distance themselves from us because they don't like being around that discomfort. And so I think the fear for many people in stigmatized losses is that the more that I make people uncomfortable, the more I'm going to be alone. Yeah. And, um, so I guess in, in response to that, knowing that the more you make people uncomfortable, the more they might not want to be around you, which uh, is is not great. Um, but finding your people, finding the people who are going to be okay with your discomfort, finding those support groups, finding those people who have kind of at the who have gone through other stigmatized losses, who maybe can get it, um, who maybe understand how lonely that can feel. Um, yeah. And, and as we said, reaching out for help, <laughs> reaching out for help is such a big part of that, not feeling lonely. I love um, what you said. I don't need to hide my pain to make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. That is such a perfect quote that I'm going to steal. I'll give you credit for it, but <laughs> I'm, that's so true. Now, what I know about grievers is normally we don't feel confident saying things like that. No. And hopefully you do seek out help because your therapist will help you until you feel confident. And one day, um, hopefully you do tell people that because it's really important to call people out and say, that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. And that's what I tell people all the time is it's okay to say, thank you, but that's not helpful. Please don't say that again. Yes. Yes. Right. And yes. sometimes that is like a light bulb moment for somebody. And they think, because most of our loved ones are not trying to hurt us. Yeah. They're not trying to cause pain. They are responding to an emotional situation intellectually. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and they're trying to get us out of that pain. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to feel that pain, but sometimes in their effort to bring us out of that pain, they end up invalidating it or dismissing. Right. Um, and, and that becomes really painful. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
what I always tell my husband is I need to tell you about my day and I don't care what you think. Right. (laughs) And that gives him permission not to have to fix it. As soon as I say that he knows, okay, I'm just supposed to listen right now. And so it's helpful if you can come up with some sort of phrase to tell people, um, it's probably harder if you're in the immediacy of a loss, especially a stigmatized loss. But if we can find a way to give people permission not to fix it, um, they're much more likely to be able to sit with us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's boundaries are tough regardless, but, um, but it, in grief, especially teaching people about and being clear about where your boundaries are. What can you talk to me about? What am I comfortable with in this time? Um, even saying things like, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't want to, if I've just lost a child, like, I don't want to hear you talk about your children, even though I can be happy for you and I will be happy for you in the future. I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I just, it, it, it's really hard for me to to sit in that place and to be happy for you right now. That's okay. Letting people know that so they know, okay, um, this is maybe not a topic that that this person is ready to talk about um, or ready to to share with me. And so, and also letting people know when you're ready to have that conversation again, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So- That's a really good example. Um, and like you said, boundaries are hard for everyday normal situations. And so when you add grief and then stigmatize grief on top of that, I want to validate what you said for people is it's hard. And I don't think that's common or even expected, but if you can hear that and do that for yourself, it's going to be so helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're uncomfortable, something I just ran in with a client recently is um, she was so worried about people as I think as women, we're so worried about making people uncomfortable because Sometimes our role as women in society is that we are supposed to make people feel comfortable mm-hmm. around us, right? That's some, we're caretakers. That's kind of our, uh, our social role in some, in many social situations. And so one of my clients was really concerned um, about setting boundaries with her family around the holiday, um, about what they could talk to her about. And like, if someone says something inappropriate, how does she handle that? And um and so as we were talking about it, she said, you know, I asked her, well, what do you want to do? What is something that you feel like you would want to do in those situations? And she said, I just kind of want to walk away. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I even want to say anything. I don't want to have to correct them. I don't want to have to educate them. I just want to be able to walk away. And I said, okay, well, how can we create that uh, space for you to feel comfortable and just saying, um, I'm going to go you know, get some water now, or I'm going to go, you know, um, I'm going to go do this other thing now and just walking away, um, can sometimes be the best thing for you in that moment. It doesn't have to be this, I don't know. It doesn't have to be this long drag out moment where you, where you kind of get in conflict with, with Mm -hmm. someone, but just, just a subtle boundary of, that that maybe wasn't the right way to talk to me and yeah. remove myself from this situation. That's a really good example and a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your bio, you talk about like helping individuals develop resilience, which I think is one, a wonderful way of putting it, right? Creating resilience, developing resilience. Um, oftentimes people will say kids are resilient children Mm -hmm. are resilient. And so 
they are either aren't grieving or they're resilient. So you don't need to tend to them or whatever that means. I don't, mm-hmm. I think that means different things for different people, but there's this assumption that because children are resilient, they aren't grieving or they aren't hurting like the adults around them. And so I think that's true for grief in general. And then when you add stigmatized grief on top of it and people don't want to talk about it um, or be honest about it, then, um, gosh, I don't know, then, then that just adds another layer to it. So I'm wondering what you think about um, children and stigmatized loss, like how they experience it or don't experience it, how adults talk to them about it or don't talk to them about it. Just kind of like, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I I think children are very um, aware of our social narratives too, even though they're not shared with them. Um, And, and we, as adults get to model what that looks like. And so if we're uncomfortable making people uncomfortable, then we're going to put those expectations on our children. And if, but if we're comfortable with making people uncomfortable, um, hopefully we, we might inspire that in our children too. And, and children have this beautiful way of being able to, um, tell people how they're feeling and what they're feeling without without necessarily being concerned about how it's going to affect you. Um, and so I think honoring that and um, being curious about what they're curious about, uh, what they have questions about and following their lead is such an important part of things. I think sometimes people are really afraid when working with children, it's like, how much do I tell them? Mm-hmm. And what I tell parents is, um, what are they, what are they asking you? Um, what, what are the questions that they have and answer those questions, um, in, in the way that you, in what feels honest, right? What feels true, what feels honest, um, because children actually will ask really, hard questions. And so I think sometimes the fear is, is that if we haven't asked those questions of ourselves yet, then what do I say to them? Or if I haven't answered these questions for myself yet, how do I answer them for these children? How do they help the children make sense of it? Sometimes it's also okay to say, you know what, I'm still trying to figure out that for myself too. Um, That's a really big question for us to answer. And this is how I'm thinking about it right now. Does that make sense to you? Does it not make sense to you? Um, that's a part of it. So, I mean, and I'm also talking more about children who are maybe a little bit older. They are asking questions at that point. Um, but for, I guess, younger children, maybe that's a different a different conversation. How can we help them through stigmatized losses? Um, younger children are really very much in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so, they're not usually going to ask questions. Usually what happens for them is it comes out a lot behaviorally. It comes out a lot in play. And so um, for for younger children, it's just about being present in those moments and saying, wow, you know, it seems like your, your, um, you know, your doll or your toy or your whatever is very angry. You know, I wonder what they need in their anger. I wonder if they need to they need to yell, they need to scream, they need to be, they need to stomp their feet, um, just kind of helping them. They need to take a deep breath. 
whatever it is, being present to to those emotions as they show up. Um, mm. That's really good. And like you had mentioned with adults, um, a really healthy response to grief is to kind of oscillate back and forth between being in my grief and feeling it and experiencing the emotions and then taking a break from it. Mm-hmm. And kids are really in tune with their bodies and do that really well. And Absolutely. sometimes that looks like they're not grieving right. because their grief bursts are are short. They're short and sweet. My body's telling me I need to be sad right now. So I'm going to be sad. And I'm going to express that either through tears, a temper tantrum, anger, whatever it is, right. I'm going to express that. Um, and then I'm going to go back and be a kid again. And so I think oftentimes that's why we say kids are resilient. Um, but when we say that we dismiss or ignore the fact that they are also grievers, And that needs to be honored and supported. Um, Mm. But because we deal with it differently as adults versus children, sometimes we don't understand that their behaviors are grief related. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It can just show up as it can show up as fatigue. It can show up as a lack of focus. It can show up as um, it can show up as sleeping more often. (laughs) It can show up as a loss of appetite. I mean, it can show up as so many things. Um, and it can also just show up as, um, you know, them wanting to play more often or just having a lot more energy, um, that can be a part of their grief process as well. So it's not that we need to understand those cues. Even we don't need to try to make sense of like, oh yeah, that's their grief. Even it's just about being present to those experiences as they're happening. Okay you have a lot more energy. Let's figure out how we can support you in that space. How can we um, help you work through that energy? How can we help meet that need? Um, and just being more present to it. That's what, that's what the key to resilience is, is when we're present, both as adults and as, in, as children, mm-hmm. when we're present to our experience that unlocks the key to our own resilience. Yeah. So resilience isn't there automatically we help develop it we are supporting it we are um creating safe places for them to become resilient Um, and i think that's the difference of the normal children are resilient versus we can help them be resilient right no beautifully said beautifully said it is not an inherent trait it is something that we that we cultivate that we nurture within ourselves within them yeah um If you are a loved one of a loved one grieving, Mm -hmm. so if you have somebody who you care about who's grieving a stigmatized loss, um, what is something that you can do to support them? So you're not grieving, you're more in that intellectual headspace, um, but you know your person is hurting. How can you support them? Mm. You know, a beautiful question. And I, I wish there was a, you know, um, blanket answer of like, yes, this is the thing. This is like the ticket item that's going to help them feel seen and heard and loved and all of these things in their grief. But everyone's grief is different. And so I think um, a lot of it is just about, as I, I mentioned, being present to them and letting them know that you're there, letting them know that um, like if they want to talk, you're there. If they don't want to talk, you're there. 
they if they want to go if they need a distraction they need a break you're there if they don't need a break and they just need to sit in their grief emotions and let and 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 be on their own you're also going to respect that too um so i think a big part of it is just reminding them that like i'm not gonna go away um i'm not i can be uncomfortable or i can be comfortable with your pain whatever that looks like and i'm not gonna you're not gonna lose me as a friend as a as a family member as a loved one um if you e express your pain in whatever way right yeah that's gonna... really good so just being present yeah um, being present being there um, and being curious too. I think that's such a big part of presence is actual curiosity. And so being curious, what are you missing about your person today? Um, what do you, um, you know, what do you, what would you like to connect with them? Um, how would you like to connect with them today? Um, what's something that reminds you of them? Um, it, do you need a break? What would it be like for you to take a break from your grief today? Um, can I help with that? So I, I think, I think being curious yeah. is, is a good place to start, not assuming what people need or where they're at in their grief process, but just being curious about it. What's been the worst part about your grief? What's been, um, what's helped you feel more connected to your loved one. Mm, those are really good examples because we mentioned how people are really uncomfortable with grief and um, depending on, we all grieve, right? We've all experienced loss and we will experience loss in the future, but depending on your connection with your loss um, experience, whether it was from 20 years ago or from two years ago or whenever, um, sometimes we're not really good about connecting with somebody. And that example of say being curious is such a good skill to have, and it doesn't always come naturally and that's okay. okay. Um, but having those words asking what's been the worst part about today yeah. What do you miss about your person? I love those examples because people often disappear because they, they will say later on, I didn't know what to say. So I didn't say anything at all. And sometimes that's okay. If you're present, if you just mm -hmm. sit in the room and say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. That's one thing. But if you disappear because you don't know what to say and you don't know how to sit in that space, that's different and that's not supportive. And so having the words to say, what are you missing about them today? Or what was hard today because they weren't here or whatever those questions are that gives your, your person permission mm -hmm. to be raw, honest, vulnerable, because you've now just said that you were a safe person and you care and want to be there for them. And what a beautiful gift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes it can, even if, if the person who's grieving says to you, you know what, um, I don't know that I even know because mm -hmm. I don't know. That's okay. Just say, you know what? Sometimes um, it's a lot of energy, a lot of effort to even come up with the words for what we're feeling. And so if they say to you, I don't know what's the worst part for me today, or I don't know what I need today. Um, another way to be supportive is just to say, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, when you do know, I'm here. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. You mm -hmm. also mentioned how um, parents 
or adult caregivers don't know how to respond to children? Do they tell them the truth? Do they say things? And so, especially if it's like a, a situation where the adult isn't necessarily grieving, but the child is, mm-hmm. um, it can be even more difficult. And you had said, answer the questions. Well, if they have a question, answer them. And I like that, but I also tell people if a child asks a question, they are modeling your intellectual response. Mm. And oftentimes the first time they ask a question, I respond with an emotion because you're feeling something you don't understand and you don't know how to use your feeling words to describe what's happening in your body. Oftentimes that is sufficient. If you mm-hmm. respond with a feeling, the way you know that they really want to know the answer to their question is if they ask a second time, mm-hmm. if that's the case, answer the question in whatever way feels appropriate to you. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when um, my boyfriend died, his nieces wanted to know how he died. And um, his brother wasn't ready to use the word suicide, wasn't ready to explain that to them. They were fairly young. And so they asked and he responded with, um, you know, he fell from a really tall bridge. And that was the truth and sufficient for their developmental age. Mm -hmm. I always want to caution people that children will one day learn the truth. And if they are asking you for question answers, it is because you are a safe person in your their life. Mm-hmm. And you don't ever want to be the liar because then that question, they they question all sorts of things. What mm-hmm. other things have you lied to me about? I trusted you with this, you weren't honest with me. And so it's really difficult to talk about stigmatized loss, but if kids are asking questions and you respond with an emotional answer, like that, it sounds like you're feeling really sad right now. It sounds like you're really confused right now, or it sounds like you're really angry right now. Right. And if they respond with, yes, I am, then that's it. That's the end of it. But if they respond with yes, but I asked, well, then they're really looking for an answer. And I think it's really important to be honest in the best way you can. And like Jessica said, if you don't know the answer, that's okay to say that too, but be Mm -hmm. honest about that. Be honest Mm -hmm. and say, I don't really know. I don't understand either, but I'm trying really hard to learn and understand. And um, maybe we can figure it out together, right? Those Mm -hmm. are some honest answers, but just personally, whenever somebody comes to me and says, what do I say? honesty to me is better because you don't want to risk damaging the relationship when they're older. Absolutely. Absolutely. And children know when you're not being honest, as much as we think that we can hide things from them, they know. And so they, they will, um, it it creates internal conflict in them because they can read on your face or in their surroundings that, that something doesn't quite fit. And so then that makes them start to um, feel as though they, they've they said something wrong or they've done something wrong and they can internalize that. They can internalize mm-hmm. that as like, oh, I'm, uh, I've done something wrong or I'm the bad thing here, right? Like I wasn't supposed to say that or I'm uh, something's wrong with me rather than actually the context of the situation is that um, 
that just the adults in the room don't know how to answer your question. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. And so we want to be very careful about helping them not internalize that belief that something's wrong with them. Hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So how do you know when it's time to seek help? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, you know, as I said, everybody's grief is different. And I think some people have a great foundation for resilience already. As I said, sometimes those natural rhythms just occur and we can go with them and we can tolerate them and it's okay and it feels good. And, and we're kind of ebbing and flowing with our grief, <laughs> all of these things. I think um, usually it's these moments when I'm feeling isolated, when I'm feeling alone, when I'm feeling stuck in a specific space of my grief where I feel like I I I like can't come, I can't create that natural rhythm. I like can't come out of the sadness and I can't come out of the anger. And I I don't know, you know, those kinds of things. Um or I feel like I'm taking, as you said, right, we're taking these prolonged breaks. Um, and we're really doing a lot of avoidant behaviors and we're not connecting at all with our emotions. Um those would all be times that I would say, let's reach out for help, <laughs> right? Let's let's talk to somebody. If you're feeling alone, you need someone to kind of help you process things. Uh, that's really important. And something that I noticed in my research too is that um, is that people go to therapy because they need help figuring out what they're feeling. Hmm. Um, they need help figuring out the words for how they're feeling. <laughs> and that's what therapy can do um, is, is not only provide support and offer encouragement and help you figure out how to work your emotions, but sometimes it's even more helpful just for the therapist to reflect to you what they see you're feeling. And then you have language, you have words, you have understanding, and then you can um it, share that with the other supportive people in your life too. When you have the words and you can share with other people what you need and um, make more sense of that. So I think that that sometimes can be the most healing part of the therapeutic grief work is, is just creating the language for our feelings because grief emotions are so chaotic and challenging to identify. And so um I recognize for a lot of my clients, that's been, that's been a big impact for them. But for you, Jessica, what do you? Well, I was going to say, that's really so good. So, um, you know, oftentimes I will talk with teenagers who say that they want to kill themselves when they're feeling overwhelmed or when they're feeling stressed or when they're feeling anxious or depressed and they don't have the words for it. And um, after investigating, they don't really want to die. They just don't know how to accurately describe how they're feeling because they right. don't have the language for it. And we know that people who are at, um, who have experienced a stigmatized loss are at increased risk of dying. They have an increased mortality rate, whether that's through a heart attack or um, suicide or some other um some other sickness, cancer, like you are at an increased risk because of the physiological response to loss. But then mm-hmm. also when you think about the mental, the mental side of it, if you don't have the words, if you don't have the language to understand what's happening in your heart and in your body, 
then that increases your risk of death even more, which um, I'm so glad you brought that up because if we just have the language, then we can understand where we're at and then process it, then Mm -hmm. move through it, understand it, process it, experience it, honor it, all of those things. But if you are really stuck and you don't have the language, then how in the world can you heal? Mm hmm. Because mm-hmm. some of our emotions feel so similar, right? How do I know that I'm feeling guilt or it's just or it's that, you know, or longing? Because <laughs> sometimes those two things can feel um, so similar. They feel just painful. Mm-hmm. Right. So so how can we separate that? Like your your longing doesn't um, doesn't mean guilt and and vice versa. Um that you're missing your role in that person's life. You're needing to have continue to feel like you have this role that you don't no longer have. That's longing. It's not you feeling guilty that you mm-hmm. didn't do enough for them, right? And so how can we um, maybe help identify how some of these feelings are, are different? Yeah, that's, um, gosh, that's such an important skill for anybody, but especially in grief. And so I love that you brought that up. Um, Another thought that I had about how do you know when it's time to seek help when I'm, when I'm thinking about stigmatized loss and we've talked about how stigma implies blame, shame, judgment. One of the things, if you're running across that with the people in your life, um, you're not going to get that from a therapist. That's one of the beautiful things about going to therapy is it's a judgment-free zone, right? That person is on your side. They want you to be, to grow, to be better, to be healthy, to be well. And so everything that you bring into the therapist, the room with the therapist is going to be support. And if you are not getting support and you feel like you need it, well, then to me, that's like, okay, I know somebody who their whole role in my life is to support me. Um, and that, that to me is a perfect time to seek therapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've talked about hard things today, but I think it's so important to talk about it because um, so many people suffer alone because of the shame and blame. And, um, and I just want to repeat what we said earlier is, loss and loss is loss, no matter how it happened. So no matter if the person was at fault, right, your Mm -hmm. love for them was still real and your grief is real and valid and appropriate. And um, there is nothing wrong with being sad or grieving somebody who's died, who didn't die in a natural way. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. Grief is grief and it is personal and it is um, always appropriate. So I wonder if there's anything else before we end, do you have any ending thoughts or ideas that you want to make sure that we share? No, I just, I think what I'm taking away from this conversation is just an appreciation for, um, for the people in my life who have been supportive in my grief. I feel like I'm taking away some better reflection of that, but also, um, how important it is to, um, to not let people's discomfort define whether or not I can be in pain, mm. uh, whether or not I can, um, or, or whatever that's supposed to mean about my grief, right? That they that however they feel about it doesn't have to mean anything about my grief, um, or about whether or not it's allowed 
or or appropriate. And so I think that um, for me, that's so important for people with stigmatized losses to know is that um, however people react to your grief is not a reflection of your, it doesn't have to mean anything about your grief. <laughs> your mm -hmm. grief is your own and you get to define uh, how it feels and what it is. Yeah, that's so good, Jessica. Grief is individual, unique. Your grief is valid and appropriate. And I want to say it again, what you said earlier, I don't have to hide my pain to make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pretend like I'm not grieving because you are uncomfortable with mm -hmm. my loss or you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, my experience is my experience and I'm allowed to feel it mm -hmm. and I'm allowed to be in community and feel it. I'm allowed nice. to be with other people. We're supposed to, we're designed to be in community. We're designed to be, get support from people. And so, um, if you want to take advantage of your community, then do it. That's yes. what we have it for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Um, it, it is so fun for me to talk with fellow helpers that love grief. Um, I always see, tell people, I know it sounds strange that I say grievers are my people, but they really are yes. because I love the journey. I love watching people. Um, you know, come in raw and in pain and in a place where they feel like they don't know how to get support and then end a different person. You know, yeah. they've, they've created some meaning around their life. They understand that life is different and that they can be healthy and well. And so whenever I have an opportunity to talk with somebody who um, has that same passion, I get really excited. So thank you so much for coming. Oh, likewise, likewise. It was a, a beautiful conversation and I'm, I'm really, um, grateful to have met you and and formed this kind of collaboration so thank you for inviting me to be here today and talk about something that i'm equally passionate about um the the life and and love of the our of our grief and our deceased loved ones mm. okay everyone so jessica is in the houston area um and in the podcast description i will have her website and the way that you can connect with her so if you want to dig deeper in your loss experience and you um are local to us you can reach out to her do you see people through telehealth as well i do yes okay the grief recovery center um beyond myself also sees a lot of people via telehealth. So there are a lot of therapists there that can support you. Awesome. So, and if you are in Texas, um, you can reach out and you can reach out in the information in the podcast description, but then also I'm sure that if you have questions and you are not in Texas, Jessica would be more than happy to support you just as I am. You know, I always want to make sure that if you need support, we will help get you support. So don't be um, hesitant to reach out to one of us. Um, okay. Okay. Everyone, the goal of this podcast is to instill hope through personal and professional stories of struggle and recovery as well as explore ideas that help you navigate hard times in the most healthy ways possible. I truly hope this episode did that for you today. Thank you to everyone who listens, likes, subscribes, and shares this podcast. It's humbling when I see people respond positively to the different topics we discuss here. Please reach out if you have topics you want to hear about. Remember, if you have lost hope and ever feeling good, calm, safe, or happy again, this is your invitation to try one more time and hope again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Again podcast, where the light at the end of the tunnel gets brighter each day. Mm-hmm.